you brought your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> that's where we're going to camp out this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. And if you are joining us online, you'll see that screen on whatever device you're watching, or you see that scripture on whatever screen you're watching. Again, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Just one verse, but a lot packed into that one idea. So over the last several weeks, we have been, as Joel mentioned earlier, walking through the season of Advent, looking at the story of the birth and coming of Jesus through three different lenses, and we're about to look through a fourth. Uh, we started by looking through the lens of hope and thinking about the hope that we have in Jesus. We looked at John chapter 2 and the miracle of Jesus at the wedding party in Cana and how when we come to the end of ourselves and we don't think there's anything left, that wherever Jesus is, there's always hope for more. Uh, we talked about how uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, is a beautiful, fun, enjoyable, uh, even uh, worthy of being called a, a party, like an endless one, the best kind you can imagine. Uh, and how where there is Jesus, uh, there is always hope for the goodness for the party to continue. Uh, and then the next week, we looked at, uh, through the lens of love at the Christmas story. Uh, we joined with Isaiah and heard God speak through the prophet Isaiah uh, about how God loves us even more than a mother loves a nursing child. And that even though uh, Israel at the time that Isaiah was writing felt forgotten, our God is a God who never forgets us. And his coming for us through his son Jesus is perfect evidence of the fact that he will never leave us forget us or forsake us. And then last week we talked about the joy that we have in Christ. We looked at Psalm 30 and talked about how all the, the evil and chaos and darkness that we go through in life has an expiration date. Uh, it will one day come to an end. And as the psalmist said, as David said in Psalm 30, though weeping may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. Uh, and we can take it to heart and believe that any darkness that we're going through, not just when we get to heaven, that's of course the reality, but even here today, because Christ wants us to have an abundant life on the planet today, that even here, that time of darkness will come to an end and joy will be on the other side of it. And joy will be in the middle of it because joy isn't bound by our circumstances. And today we're going to talk about something else that's not bound by our circumstances, and that is peace and the peace that only Christ can bring. When I say the word peace, you might think of most readily the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Uh, you might think of peace as uh, an agreement that countries or different peoples have made with each other uh, in order not to fight with each other any longer. Uh, you might think of peace as uh, the end of a particular war. Maybe you're thinking of one in mind, or maybe you're seeing different uh, things going on in our culture that are, are not necessarily full-on war, but are certainly contentious, and you might think that peace will be when those things come to an end, when conflict is over. Now, those are peaceful things and peaceful times, but peace, especially through the lens of Scripture, is much more than the absence of conflict. Peace is much deeper than that. There's a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that many of you may have heard of before. Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship uh, in which he argued against what he would call cheap grace, uh, that God saved us and changed us, that it's not dependent upon anything that we do. We don't have to do anything to be saved. But because we have been saved by the grace of Jesus, 
we are called to live a different life. And there are some things that are different about us. Bonhoeffer was a firm believer in that. And because of his firm belief in that, he also happened to be a pacifist. He was against war and violence of all kinds. Yet, he also, later in life, was one of a, in a group of people who led an assassination attempt against Hitler because of what Hitler was doing. Bonhoeffer was a German, a German Christian, uh, saw what was happening in Germany during World War II and decided to do something about it. It ended up leading to his death, and, and that was his story. And so if you just take like the, the, the big 3,000 foot view of it, or 30,000 foot view of it, you have Bonhoeffer who's a Christian, a believer, a pacifist, and all of a sudden he's ready to kill a man. He's ready to take someone's life in order to achieve something. Now, in most cases, we would say killing people is a bad thing, but I think just about everybody would agree, Hitler, if you had a chance to take him out, you probably should have taken him out. Can we all agree on that one? I think that's a pretty universal statement, uh, even in our very polarized world, uh, that Hitler, if we could have taken care of him earlier before he killed six million Jews, uh, that we would have. Um, so it makes sense if you read Bonhoeffer's writings and how sold out he was to the cause of Christ and how sold out he was to the idea that when someone followed Christ, it made a difference in the way that they acted, that he was willing to, because he saw the horrible injustices that were going on in Germany, he saw them before we saw them in the West. Americans didn't really get the full grasp of what was going on in the Holocaust until we went and started setting people free from concentration camps. We were hearing rumors, but we didn't know the full grasp of it. It was right in Bonhoeffer's backyard. So he knew what was going on, and he was willing to turn his back on a long-held belief in order to do the greater good, the best thing, the best thing that he felt like God was calling him to do. He was willing to sacrifice his own self in order to protect other people. He knew that peace does, doesn't just happen. Peace must be made. Peace is something that Jesus loves to talk about. It's actually the word peace is in every New Testament book except for 1 John. And it is perhaps the most prominent or at least one of the most prominent theological concepts in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's known as shalom. That's the Hebrew word that we translate into peace. And shalom is, again, more than just the absence of conflict, much more than just the absence of conflict. The idea of shalom is completion, perfect, everything being in its place, a story being told to its complete end and it ending perfectly. Shalom would be like listening to uh, a hundred member Christmas choir and nobody off tune or singing, uh, off key or singing the wrong part. It's perfection, it's, it's wholeness. It's that feeling you get when you know everything is right. You know, maybe those moments haven't been plentiful in life because we live in a fallen chaotic world. But you could probably pinpoint a few moments in your life where you're able to look and, says, and say to yourself, this, everything just feels right in this. Whether it's looking at what's going on with your family or your walk with the Lord, that, that feeling of completion and wholeness is a taste of shalom that the Old Testament and New Testament talks about. And so to kind of get, us, get us started, to get your mind started, what's, when's the last time you've experienced, you've tasted that kind of peace, that shalom. You know, there are a lot of things in our world that can steal that peace away, especially in this year. It seems like there's a ton in the world that can steal that peace away. All you have to do is turn on the television or open your phone. The media is almost built to steal your peace at this point. 
because that is getting your attention and that's ultimately what they want and you can't have they can't have your attention unless you're upset about something so they're going to get you upset about something living at peace in shalom is just not normal in our world when is the last time you experienced that or has it been stolen away from you or maybe i need to ask a more pointed question have you given it away to be worried about other things again peace must be made it doesn't just happen we're going to read this beatitude from jesus in matthew chapter 5 but before we do that let's pray together father again we thank you for today god we thank you for your presence here with us god we thank you for the gift of your holy spirit god we thank you for the gift of your word and god i pray that through the truth of your word through the movement of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move distraction and chaos from our minds and hearts and that you would plant within us the exact word of truth that you want for us this morning. And God, through your spirit and in our spirit, do a work of transformation. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount with the famous opening lines of that sermon giving the Beatitudes, and one of the last ones here in verse 9 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let me draw your attention to what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peaceful. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, the ones who make sure nobody rocks the boat. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who run away and stay away from conflict at all costs. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who never pick a fight or never disagree with anyone. No, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And not very long after this story, Matthew records in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus saying something that on the surface level seems to be contradictory to this, but it's not, and I'll tell you why. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword. And then Jesus goes on to tell how because of him and because of the testimony of him, even families might fall apart because he was trying in that setting to teach those around him that following him was the most important thing anyone could do. And their relationship with God preceded all other relationships. And a full devotion to him is what he was asking for and what he believed would bring an abundant life for his followers. Now, Jesus didn't want to purposefully create drama, but he knew that if people followed him, other people wouldn't like that and drama would ensue. And so he recognized that reality. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, or when he is called the Prince of Peace, we need to get out of our head this idea that Jesus is the kind of guy who never rocks the boat. Uh, We need to get out of our head of our Christmas mythology, out of our head this peaceful, serene setting in which Jesus enters into the story. That's not the way the story should be told. Now, there's some beauty in songs like Silent Night and the peace that God brings through those kind of music. I'm not doubting or denying any of that. I'm just saying we ought to be willing to tell the whole story. And the whole story is not nearly as pristine as some might like it to be. Peacemaking is never passive. It is something that we do. It is something that God did through his son Jesus. He didn't just let it happen. 
Peacemaking is never passive. Jesus also says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, I thought Jesus was the son of God. Yes, that's correct. That gives you an inclination as to what kind of title or what kind of claim this is. Now, Paul tells us elsewhere that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we share in that inheritance with Jesus as if we were also sons of God. So it's not stating too much to say that we're sons of God, but here's something, a way of looking at it that I found helpful. If I were to show you a picture of myself when I was eight years old, it would look exactly like my son. As a matter of fact, we showed him a picture one time a couple of years ago when I was six of, him, of me when I was that old, and he thought it was him. Um, pray for him every day because he's got this to look forward to. Uh, but seriously, uh, we, the, 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 the family image is thick. But you know what it does? It goes beyond looks. As a 37-year-old man with three children, I find myself in moments of, of good and in moments of bad saying something and then immediately thinking to myself, that's, that's, I've heard that before. Yeah, that's what my dad used to say. Or that's what my mother used to say. Or that's what my grandfather used to say. Uh, Y'all seen those commercials, it's Gakko or somebody, but you know, the the, the focus groups for people who are starting to become like their parents, you know, and working your way out of that, that, that we kind of become like our parents. We bear the family resemblance for good and for bad. And so what I see Jesus kind of alluding to when he says that peacemakers shall be called sons of God is that if we are in the world busy making peace, doing the work of making peace in a peaceless world, of bringing shalom and wholeness to ourselves, our families, and the rest of the world around us, if we are busy at work doing that, we're going to be bearing the family resemblance. And people are going to see that work, as Jesus would say elsewhere, to see our good works and glorify our Father who isn't glorify our Father who is in heaven. That they will see the peace that we exude, the shalom by which we live, and it will speak of a different realm. It will speak of a different reality. It will hopefully point people to Jesus. So that when we are busy making peace, we are being we're being just like our Father. You know how when you see a kid acting a certain way, especially if you're a teacher in school and you've taught multiple generations, you see one kid act just like their parent. You say, yes, that's so-and-so's boy. I hope that at some point in my life, someone would see me making shalom and say, that's Jesus's son. That's God's boy. And that's what peacemakers are, is sons of God. Peacemaking is never passive. And following Jesus means being a peacemaker. It's not really an option. That's what we do if we follow Jesus. We bring shalom into the world around us. And of course, in the Christmas season, we celebrate and tell the story of the perfect act of peacemaking. Jesus came to us. God sent his son for us to make peace to bring shalom, to do what Paul would call the ministry of reconciliation. 
that we who had become enemies of the cross by our own free decisions to choose to follow our own sinful whims rather than to follow God, Jesus came as the sacrifice, the, 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 the substitute to bear the punishment of our sin so that we might be restored to a shalom relationship with God and with, his, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus came on Christmas to make that happen, to get that story started, or at least to continue along in that story. The cross itself is an act of peacemaking. Uh, again, we think of peace as, as, as fun and, and calm and light and, 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 and not conflicted, but Jesus stepped into conflict. He allowed chaos to literally kill him. He allowed sin to become, he, he became sin itself so that he took the punishment and curse of sin upon himself. And through that most chaotic thing I can possibly think of, Jesus escorted peace into our lives. The church that Jesus has left behind is also supposed to be a peacemaker. God has left us here to continue that work as children of God. And so when we sing of peace on earth or sleeping in heavenly peace during this Christmas season, let us remember that peace is not that serene, pristine thing. It, it can be on occasion. But peace is something that has to be made. The kind of peace that Jesus makes can even survive in a world at war. And for that, I'm grateful. Jesus came into a world at war with itself. Now, maybe there was an open conflict between national uh, groups or international groups at that time, but Jesus came into a very conflicted world. The Jews were dividing themselves into different groups who all disagreed with each other. All the while, they were also having to deal with their disagreements with the Romans. And then the Romans were having trouble... Uh, uh, making sure that they governed all of the different provinces and the power struggle between Herod and others like him within the Roman government. Uh, there was always some kind of conflict going on in the world that Jesus entered. And you know what? In 2,000 years, not a whole lot has changed. Nor has it ever really been peace in the absence, in the sense of absence of conflict. Has that ever really been the state of the world for a long period of time. <clears throat> I mean, think back to your history classes in school and in college. I remember history basically being a study of one war after another, <clears throat> of that being of what so much of the focus was on, because that's where things changed. That's where political boundaries got drawn, was usually over some sort of conflict. <clears throat> so, Conflict is not going away. Not until Jesus comes back and makes this whole thing right. It'll be done once and for all then. But until then, conflict is not going away. Until then, there will be wars and rumors of wars. We can count on that reality. But the kind of peace that Jesus makes can survive even in a world at war. Even in 2020. Peace has been difficult to find this year. But guess what? Peace is difficult to find every year. As a matter of fact, I would go ahead and argue that peace is impossible to find in any year because it's not just something that happens. Peace is a choice that you make. It is a decision that you make. It is an action that you take. 
You can be at peace when the world around you is falling apart. You can decide that you are secure in Jesus and that you are going to do everything you can to be secure in the way that you present Jesus to the world around you. And you are going to make sure that that stays steady even while the rest of the world is shaking. Don't we serve a good God who can bring peace in the midst of chaos? Aren't we glad that the God we follow isn't shaking because of the news of the latest news cycle and whatever is going on in the world? Aren't we glad that God is not up in, his, up in heaven wringing his hands together thinking, well, I've got to come up with plan B? Aren't we glad that God is confident and unshaken in the fact that his plan A, Jesus, who came to make peace in the world, is making peace and will make peace once and for all? The world is clearly in need of peace. So how do we make peace in our world? We follow Jesus' lead. And here's the reality that may not set well, but I hope that you, fall, you lean into it. In Scripture, peace is always preceded by sacrifice. Every time. We are at peace with God because Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. We are at peace with God because God sacrificed his one and only begotten son by sending him here to live in the flesh and be crucified around 2,000 years ago. Peace is always preceded by sacrifice. Even in something much less trivial than the crucifixion of Jesus, a disagreement that you might have with a friend, in order for peace to ever be made, someone is going to have to sacrifice their right to be right, their right to win the argument, and to extend themselves to someone else. That's what has to happen for peace to be made. Peace doesn't get made without sacrifices being made. In Scripture, peace is always preceded by sacrifice. And so as we think about the peace of the Christmas story, about the reality that Jesus came to bring peace on earth, not the kind of peace where everybody's uh, you know, ignoring conflict and running away from each other and making sure not to step on toes. No, the kind of peace where people are actively working to bring shalom, to bring the truth of God into the world, to change their, themselves, change their families, change their communities, change their churches, and change the world, that Jesus is trying to bring that kind of peace into the world. When we reflect on this story of a God who came to make peace and is now turning to us to continue that story, May we ask ourselves, where in my world is God calling me to make peace? Where is God calling me to be a peacemaker? It might be internally. It might be the place to start. It might be some issue, some, some thing you haven't forgiven yourself for that God is working on you. And perhaps you need to be at peace with yourself or maybe God is pushing you to make peace with a good friend or a family member or a neighbor. Maybe God is, is calling you to make peace with, uh, this is more of an internal thing, but still also external, with the world around you and the way that it is and the fear that is maybe encroaching into your heart. Maybe God is calling you to be at peace even in the midst of that. Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Because that's what peacemaking takes.
and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Many of you have heard the prayer of St. Francis before, but I'm going to read it once again. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you are saved by the blood and grace of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is living within you, you are a son or daughter of God on high. And you are a born peacemaker to bring shalom to the world around you. If there's anyone here who has never made peace with God, who's never accepted the peace offering that he has given us through his son Jesus, and you would like to know what it means to be saved by Jesus and to have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be standing down here as we sing one final song together. And I'll hang around after the service if you would like to talk then. And for those of you who do have a saving relationship with Jesus, I'll ask the same question I asked a moment ago. Where in your life is God calling you to be a peacemaker? Think and pray on that as we worship together through one more song. You can pray right where you're at. You can pray with me if you have anything you need to pray about. Uh, you can also come and kneel at the altar if you would like to do that. Uh, just enter into whatever kind of posture of prayer you would like. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Once again, our band is going to lead us in one last song. And as they do, may you spend time with the Lord and seek out his voice to see where you might need to sow peace in the world around you. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for being the king of all peacemakers. God, that you made a peace that we could not make because we were in the war ourselves. That you came and through your blood, and through yourself, through your only begotten son, you sacrificed yourself. You tasted and experienced death on a cross and the fullness of sin so that we don't have to. So that we might be reconciled to you. God, you get all the glory for not, only burying, for not only bearing those things, but for destroying those things. God, I pray now that as sons and daughters of you and your son Jesus, God, that you would show us how to make peace in a world around us. God, we want to bring shalom to our hearts, to our homes, to our communities, and to our world. God, show us how. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.